today on the show. Give up drinking for Lent? Here's some reasons why not. Uh, what's a Catholic to do in the drive through Cultivating gratitude, our picks of the week, and so much more. The Catholic Underground Lent style starts now. Hello. Again, we keep the solemn fast. Uh, it's time for the CU Weekly in Lent, the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 390, a nice rounded number. I am Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, we've got Tyler Trahan, who is the director of the Franciscan Experience for the Franciscan... Whew, I almost got there. Yeah. Franciscan <laughs> Missionaries of Our Lady University, That's or right. Fran Yu. Fran Yu. Yeah. In Baton Rouge. Hey, Tyler. Hello, Father Chris. Yes, it's good to be with you, actually. Yeah, it's, it's been a couple of episodes. Here. It has, it has. Yeah, I think always you were, good to be here. You were in a few reruns uh, a little while back on, really? on television. Yeah, okay. so, so it's, it, reruns are great because you never age. You know, no, yeah, exactly. no, not at all. It's true. <laughs> uh, let's go up to the Jeff Star one, shall we? And uh, to Jeff Blackwell, who's the technical director of the CU. He's the commandant of the Jeff Star one near Earth orbit satellite. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Father. Good to be here. Yes, and Ed Ball is our video director. If you're watching us on video, on uh, on Roku, on Catholic Faith Network, on Catholic TV, uh, on Facebook, on all those other great places where you can actually see and hear us um, at the same time, Ed is the guy who's doing that. Mm -hmm. All right, Olivia is on assignment, and uh, and Kathleen is on special assignment this evening. Um, we, we got word this week that her grandfather died. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so uh, she is with her family at this time. And so, Kathleen, know that we are praying for you. Absolutely. And, uh, and certainly your family and the soul of your grandfather is, uh, is in our prayers um, mm -hmm. as we go on the air today. All right. Well, we are uh, deeply in the season of Lent. Uh, as, as this episode is coming to you, uh, we've celebrated the, the first Sunday of Lent. That's right. And uh, Jesus has been driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be, to be tempted. I, I listened to something very interesting uh, today. I think it was probably uh, Dr. Brant Petrie. Mm -hmm. He talks about the difference between a test and a temptation. Mm. He says, God allows testing right. uh, so that we may pass. Mm -hmm. And I had never really thought of it that way before. Mm -hmm. um, Satan tempts so that we may fail. Right. God doesn't tempt us. And I don't know, like in Absolutely. our Cajun culture, we hear that all the time. Like, mm -hmm. uh, Oh, man, man, it's just God tempting me. <laughs> no, God doesn't tempt. God allows a test. Right. He doesn't necessarily cause the test, but he will allow the test. Absolutely. Like any good, wise teacher so that we may pass. A teacher worth his or her salt gives a test so that you will gain mastery of, of the material. Right? Absolutely. Uh, and it was a really interesting way because Jesus says, uh, you know, um, you call me master and so indeed I am. I am a teacher. And that's part of the teaching. And so Jesus goes into the desert mm -hmm. uh, to show us how to be tested and to pass. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting, Jeff? Yeah, that's I mean, beautiful. Yes. I was I was blown away. I love it. I mm -hmm. love it when I learn something that just uh, really kind of makes my brain explode. Mm -hmm. That's right, big old yeah. hunk's brain on the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. That's, that's what right. I'm saying. Yeah. And so, interestingly enough, part of the way in which we allow ourselves, we consent to being tested, to going into the spiritual discipline of Lent, is is by fasting, by prayer, and by almsgiving. Those are the ways in which we with Jesus, turn around all of those sins that were turned around in the garden, mm. right? The, the temptation to, uh, to lust of the, of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and then lust for, for, uh, for power, pride. Mm. And so when we pray and we fast, we alms, uh, learn how to alms give, those things are turned around. And so uh, we thought we'd talk a little bit about a particular 
type of fasting? So it, it sounds a bit like a frat house challenge, actually. I was never a member of a frat. I don't know. But, yeah. but uh, I, I know the, the way that it usually sounds, right? So, uh, so can you imagine drinking beer for a 40-day period mm. of, uh, of fasting? I, I personally, mm. I don't know that I could. I like beer, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I don't know. Tyler, do you like a, a brew? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have a yeah. favorite? Because we have a lot of good micro brews here. Oh, absolutely. In, in, yeah. My go to um, would be Abita. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Our parish, the parish brewery has okay. a lot of good ones. And th- so those two are my, two are my go to. Um, but I would have to say a 40 day fast just uh, with beer is a just with beer. That's, pretty. It, it could be a challenge, right? Pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> I myself, uh, so, so if you're joining us from another part of the United States where you can't get some of these beers, mm-hmm. you can at least Google them and, and, and ogle over, um, you know, the nice sweaty bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Abita Brewery is one of our local uh, yeah. breweries as yeah. well as parish brewing. Yeah. And, uh, Abita Amber is usually my go-to, but Same. I will also go to Cane Break, which is the uh, the Parish Brewing, I think. Uh, yes, label. Parish has the Cane Break. Yeah, yeah. yeah you introduced those... me to that, Father. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they um, they had Abita even came out with a Christmas. Um, oh, did seasonal, yeah, and they also had a Mardi Gras seasonal. That yeah, they was do. Their good. seasonal yeah. beers are pretty good. It was. I I also I know outside of Louisiana there is a uh, is the boot. That's kind of a beta's like they, mm-hmm. they say it's like their standard brew outside of Louisiana. Okay, okay. So you can get it sometimes. So, yeah. so uh, this is we're talking about all of this beer to to uh, to kick this off. So, um, if you can imagine, monks in the 17th century, they had a hardcore approach that involved a liquid diet, 40 days of beer. Mm. This totally happened. In the 1600s, mm. the Paulaner monks of southern Italy relocated to uh, cloister Nudec Obderau in Bavaria. And if you're going from Italy to Bavaria, it, only good things can happen culinarily, you know? Yeah, I would uh, imagine. Yeah, and so um, so St. Francis of, of Paola um, actually founded this religious order. And uh, whenever he they, they kind of translated themselves to Bavaria... Uh, as the the order was being founded, they went to Pope Alexander VI and they asked, well, can we be a religious order? And Pope Alexander said, yes, but you have to change your name from the Hermits of St. Francis of Assisi to the Minims, mm-hmm. as in like minimal, huh? Uh, the idea is that they, they are to be called the Minims to be the least of all the faithful. And they took a fourth vow. This was their deal. So poverty, chastity, obedience are the standard vows for someone for in sure. religious life, like a monk. Mm-hmm. But these hermits take a fourth vow of no meat and no animal products as well. And so and so that was their, their fourth Even outside vow. of Lent. Even outside of Lent. Wow. And so they had to figure out what to do um, with, uh, with, with the Lenten season. Because like, if you think about it, like how much of what we eat and drink every day is is a, a, a meat-related or animal-product-related. Oh, absolutely, related. especially so, in South Louisiana. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So milk, um, mm-hmm. uh, chicken, mm-hmm. beef, yep. pork. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. even if you're going to bake cookies, there are animal There's products involved. In there, yes. So, right? So, so you had these these uh, monks that, that they had strict orders because they were hermits to refrain from... Uh, not only these things regularly, but they also, for, for Lent, they would take upon themselves refraining from all solid foods. Mm-hmm. 
which I can't even imagine what that must be like. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know, I know, like whenever you have to fast for a for a, a test to be run or something, yeah. you can't have any solid foods. That's mm-hmm. right. And and I know what that does to my uh, delicate disposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, can you imagine forty days? And yeah. so and so they were trying. They were asking questions of how the order would maintain proper nutrition because mm-hmm. that's really the deal. You have to be. You have to be new, uh, given nutrition mm-hmm. for these 40 days, right? Mm-hmm. So what they did is they turned to what they knew. They concluded that beer, or as they called it, liquid bread, uh, would sustain them. And so they brewed a special, unusually strong beer that had high levels of carbohydrates and had nutrients that would fight off malnutrition. Wow. And okay. so uh, the beer that's still available today huh. uh, by the Paul Honor people, mm-hmm. um, it was a, a Doppelbach that they called Salvatore, uh, which is named after Sanctvater, which can be roughly translated, I'm told, as Holy Father Beer, <laughs> huh. which is a very kind of a, a Franciscan way of thinking of things, right? That is, so, yeah. yeah, the Holy so, Father. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so very Franciscan. Brother Wolf yes. and Holy Father Beer. <laughs> That's right. But there's a reason that they call it Holy Father Beer because they were very proud of their work. We, we came up with a way to observe mm-hmm. the 40 days of Lent on this extremely strict regimental diet of, of no solid food. Talk about creative thinking. Yeah, <laughs> that's very creative. Yeah. Uh, but but they wanted to make sure that uh, that they could actually observe this and still keep with the penitential notion of Lent. Because as I understand it, I haven't had this beer yet, but as I understand it, the beer was uh, good. Mm-hmm. It's tasty. Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. And so what they did, because, because those in religious communities, the uh, religious orders are always... Um, especially those that are founded and ratified, if you will, by the Pope, they always uh, answer to him, mm-hmm. right? And so they said, well, I know what we'll do. We'll, uh, we'll hope for a conclusive ruling on whether or not the brew is too delicious to count as a Linden sacrifice. Mm. So they, uh, they ship a barrel of their best Doppelbach uh, of, uh, of Sankt Vater. They, they, they ship a barrel to Rome so that the Pope could determine if the beer was appropriate for fasting. Wow. Hmm. Now, this was in the uh, you know 17th century, okay. century so the 1630s. Uh, during the long trip from Bavaria to Rome, the beer spoiled. Mm-hmm. Oh, it spoiled. Wow. Huh. And yeah. so when it finally got to the Pope, <laughs> you know, he takes a a, a, a draft of it, <laughs> oh, right? <no>. Right. <laughs> and he deemed that it was so foul <laughs> that consuming it was considered a sacrifice unto itself. Hmm. And so that uh, roundabout way gave the monks the go-ahead. <laughs> worked to, in uh, their favor. Yeah, <laughs> to enjoy their liquid Lent with uh, clear conscience, right? Right. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, Polliner actually serves 70 countries. It's one of the chief breweries featured in Munich's Oktoberfest today. Wow. And that particular beer, as we said, is distributed all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but most folks don't know of its penitential origins. Of course, mm-hmm. I guess if you're drinking it, you don't really care. You right, know? yeah. Um, but I, I remember in the seminary, um, we had seminarians that would that would underdo, undertake a, a bread and water um, mm-hmm. fast. They would attempt to. Because when yeah. you're in the seminary, um, you know, you're, you're trying everything to get close to the Lord. Just, right. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, it's Understood. a place of, of healthy experimentation spiritually in a sense like, wait, you know, let, 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 yeah. let's see if I can do this, you know. Um, and so a number of seminarians would take the, uh, the extra hardcore path on, mm-hmm. uh, for 40 days of Lent. And, and so the monks would, would catch wind of this. And so they would start um, adding extra things into the bread because they knew that, that they were going to this particular bread box. And the monks made the bread at the abbey where I went. 
And so they would start fortifying the bread so that they could do a bread and water uh, fast for Lent. Mm. And uh, I don't know how many of them made it actually to this day. I can't tell you. I don't know. Um, but at any rate, yeah. uh, so so it's it's really kind of a beautiful thing to see mm-hmm. that uh, that the monks are are, um, are are still doing this even today. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and so uh, so the Salvatore is distributed all over the world. Um, and in 2011, there was actually some some real life. Um, uh, what 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 would you call it? Uh, a real life uh, tester here. Uh, Jay Wilson, who was a Christian working as an editor for a county newspaper in Iowa, heard of the story. And he partnered with a local brewery to create a beer that was similar to Salvatore, to this Paul Anner, um, uh, penitential beer. And he said he was, he exclu- was going to exclusively um, drink this the 46 days of Lent and through Holy Week. So he did the thing that uh, if you're going to be a reporter, you're going to do it right. So yeah. he, um, he had weekly checkups with his doctor. He got permission from his employers to drink on the job at lunchtime. Wow. Uh, and he, uh, he drank four beers over the course of the workday and five beers on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm. And uh, on his blog, he, he talks about how the human body is an amazing machine. He says, we might fill our body with junk food and neglect it in all sorts of ways, but it can still climb mountains, run marathons, and it can function without food for long periods of time. And uh, so he talks about uh, the first few days as being really difficult with yeah. acute hunger, no, you know. Sure, yeah. So, but as, as time wore on, he noticed a change. He said, uh, and I quote, uh, my body then switched gears, replaced hunger with focus, and I found myself operating in a tunnel of clarity unlike anything I'd ever experienced. He wow. said he ended up losing over 25 pounds, huh. um, and, and he learned to practice a self-discipline. Mm. And that's really what fasting is all about. That's right. You know, even that's right. a, a, you know, a... Um, a reporter working for a newspaper mm-hmm. begins to understand that this clarity of focus is not just something so I can get more work done, mm-hmm. but ultimately the learning these these self disciplines of a, certainly a fasting mm-hmm. help to clear our hearts. Yes, absolutely. You know. Yeah, and that's been something that I've fasting has been something this particular Lent that has been brought up a lot, mm-hmm. and how fasting is not just merely the sacrifice portion of it where yeah. you're sacrificing something, but it's the empty emptying of ourselves so that way God's grace can then come in and fill us. And so I always, I put this to prayer a couple of days ago, where it's, you know, every single time I'm sacrificing, not just necessarily fasting, but sacrificing something, Mm -hmm. let it be an opportunity for me to empty myself in order for God to fill me. Mm. That's right. So, yeah. And, and the notion of asking for particular graces uh, while you're fasting Mm -hmm. You know, Jeff, in the, in the history of the church, we traditionally fast on Wednesdays and on Fridays. Mm-hmm. We fast on Fridays, of course, because of Good Friday, but traditionally we fast on, on Wednesdays, too. It's a popular day of fasting because that was the day on which Jesus was betrayed. Oh, wow. Yeah. I okay. did not know. So yeah, Holy Week, we call that. Holy Week is Spy Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. right. We call right, it Spy right, Wednesday, right, yeah. and, that's, and that's exactly why um, Jesus was betrayed by Judas on, mm. on, uh, on Wednesday. And so there's this notion of... I'm not going to try to do anything mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to seek life away from my Lord. Yeah. And so fasting, a way of kind of giving away everything rather than seeking to possess those 30 pieces, you know, yeah. um, is a, a beautiful thing. So that might be something you consider uh, in your Lenten observance. And remember, um, fasting is also a way to drive out many things that hang on yes. to us as well. Yes. Many spiritual realities that hang on mm-hmm. to us. Um, Jesus talks about that, right? Whenever the disciples can't drive out a demon... Jesus expels the demon, and then the disciples say, well, why couldn't we? Why couldn't we uh, cast this out? He said, well, this, this kind of demon 
can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. And so there is a very important notion of fasting within our Christian history, and it's not just something that these crazy Catholics do. So by the end of Lent, uh, Wilson, that that reporter, concluded that monks fasting on Doppelbach was not only possible, he said, but it was probable. He said, it left me with the realization that the monks must have been keenly aware of their own humanity and imperfections. In order to refocus on God, they engage this annual practice not only to endure sacrifice, but to stress and rediscover their own shortcomings in an effort to continually refine themselves. And that's really what Christianity is all about, um, realizing that our salvation certainly is, is given in Jesus Christ, but, but also coming to a deeper understanding and knowledge and love of that is by continually seeking refinement mm. in our own lives. Right? That's right. So, uh, really interesting way of doing it i don't i don't know if i could do it i'm for it you're for for it it. i'm for it so i mean i'm willing to give it a try i think uh don't try this at home kids Uh, yeah make sure that you do this under medical supervision and at least your spiritual director's supervision as well (laughs) father chris i I guess well only if i could do it with you right right, yeah that's right yeah Yeah. accountability community and then uh just really quick uh the that uh catholics are, are not required to give up all solid foods for lent but we are called to do penance during the season uh, to emulate Christ's 40-day of fasting in the wilderness. If you're healthy, uh, adults aged 18 to 59 must fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. You're encouraged to continue the Good Friday fast through Holy Saturday to the Easter Vigil. And a proper fast is considered eating one full meal, and two smaller meals that taken together don't equal one full meal. So that's uh, just the, the quick uh, regulations on fasting. Uh, but what we should also quickly do is remind you that we are the Catholic Underground. <laughs> Yep, you're listening to the Catholic Underground, all right. <laughs> We're online at catholicunderground.tv. I'm Father Chris, joined by Tyler Trahan with Fran Yu, uh, the Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University. I just like right. saying it because it's a lot of work. Yeah, like it, is. it is. <laughs> uh, Jeff Blackwell is up in space. Ed Ball's in the ball pit there, switching the video on our video feed. If you're listening on the radio, it's beautiful video. Uh, all right, our picks of the week are coming up, but first we want to talk about, well, more food. More food. You know, my last few homilies uh, have been food-related, and my staff members, uh, or no, some of my parishioners came up to me and said, Father, are you hungry? Because your last three weeks, your last three homilies have been food-based. I went, oh, well, I, I can't explain it. <laughs> but, I mean, we do kind of deal with food uh, in the liturgy. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, in the Holy That's Eucharist. Right. Holy Eucharist. Yeah, and um, it is, yeah, so speaking of food, as Father Chris was saying, one of the, what we, what we can consider a staple during Lent yeah. um, is the delectable filet fish sandwich. That's true. That's right. From I, McDonald's. I remember as a kid, I can't say that I've had a filet fish in a very long time. I can say that I've never had a filet fish oh, before. Oh, well, yeah. okay, all right, yeah. But, I mean, it stands to reason that uh, that you do need a, sometimes you need a quick place to go. Absolutely. For, yeah, so, for your, I mean. For your, on a Friday. That's right, that's right. And, you know, you're kind of, you know, we can be forgetful sometimes. And yeah, sure. we forget that it's Friday only. It's like, oh, dang it, you know. Here I am I, in the drive-thru. Here, here I am in the drive-thru. And you just kind of forget, like, hey, today's Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, but... No surprise to know or to learn yeah. is that the filet fish actually was created 
due to the Lenten season. And in, re- so, in response to a potential market. I in guess. response to a oh. potential market. And so actually, I'm going to introduce you to um, this guy. His name is Lou Groen. Mm-hmm. I'm probably butchering that last no, name. No, I think you're doing fine. It's yeah, a lot of vowels. So, it's a diphthong, um, so you're doing so great. So he is responsible for opening up the first McDonald's franchise in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1959, where okay. the only thing that was consisted on the menu yeah. was... Burgers, yep. which were only 15 cents at the time. Jeff, do you remember a 15-cent burger? I remember a 19-cent a, a burger at uh, McDonald's, and there was a, a local, um, uh, I think it was uh, maybe, I don't know if it's just in southwest Louisiana, but uh, Burger Chef. Oh, yeah, Burger uh, Chef was They a, had 15-cent burgers. Okay, so so the hamburger was 15 cents. Right, and then the cheeseburger was also available. See, I wouldn't have even and... known what the hamburger cost because I would have gone for a cheeseburger. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Not that much more expensive. The cheese only itself was two cents more. Yeah. Or actually, no, so, my math is wrong. Four cents more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 19 cents. And then, of course, you had your fries, coffee, soda, milk, um, and also your shakes. Mm-hmm. So in Ohio and Cincinnati in particular, about 80, 87% of the population was actually Catholic. Oh, yeah. And because they didn't have any seafood during Lent, yeah. they had a major drop in business. And because you saw a lot of the... Um, the citizens go just down the street to another restaurant right. wow. that offered a fish-type sandwich. And, of course, in those days, I mean, uh, in the 1950s, uh, mm-hmm. early 1960s, uh, no meat on Fridays was, was still part you know, mm-hmm. of, of the way things were. That was right. part right. of the law. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, yeah, it actually later on says how it was actually considered a sin yeah, um, sure. at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Mr. Groen, who started this franchise, was actually a devout Catholic. And so... He didn't even eat his own hamburgers during Fridays during Lent because yeah, he was withholding he was observing the fast. The, he was right, observing exactly. the fast. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, he came up with the idea like, hey, let's introduce a fish sandwich in order uh, to cater to the Catholic population. That's dangerous stuff if you're a franchisee. Exactly. Yeah. And so, which that goes into my next point. Yeah, of, we actually, there was a franchise that was, a, I believe, like a, a Sonic franchise mm-hmm. in New Roads, one of our small towns. And uh, they started offering fried chicken. Not during Lent, but just they wanted mm-hmm. to start cooking fried chicken. Yeah. And they did. And uh, Sonic said, what, what, are you, what are you doing? And so now they're like a, an anti-Sonic. They're, we're not anti, but they're a different right. restaurant. They yeah. look exactly like a Sonic, uh-huh. you know, frozen in 1980. Yeah. But then, yeah. They're the, they're the rebels. Exactly. The rebels of the yeah. group. Mm-hmm. They're kind of doing their own thing. So, um, so yeah, so in observing and seeing the fact that his business was dropping during yeah. Lent, you know, it was kind of a... I got to do something. Monetary downfall. Mm -hmm. And so introduce the fish sandwich. Well, of course, uh, you know, again, being in a franchise, you know, I can run into some hurdles. Yeah, Yeah, right. And so Ray Kroc, who was responsible for actually making McDonald's a national franchise, um, actually caught wind of this and did not like the idea at all (laughs) because, I quote, he says, I don't want my stores stunk up with the smell of fish. Which, you know, who would want... You know, there yeah, place the of fishy smell like this. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. there's something about the smell of burning meat that's lovely, but not the smell <laughs> no. of fish. No, absolutely. Uh, so not, he wasn't a heathen or anything like that, right? No, no, no. And so... Um, so he had well, his own thing. Well, he yeah, he indeed had his own thing, which this is very interesting to uh-huh. me. He calls it the hula burger. Okay. Where it was a slice of pineapple and cheese on a bun. Oh, so that was his Lenten... That was his Lenten idea. Mm. Uh, so it was a hula burger where it was just a piece of pineapple and a slice of cheese, mm. which 
<laughs> I guess I, just goes up to your interest. You know, you kind of have the I'm, sweet and salty, you know, I'd, just kind of depends on what you like. I'd go down the road. Is what uh, I'd do. I mean, you know, who <laughs> yeah. knows? And so, um, so they decided, hey, like, let's have a little competition. Uh-huh. My sandwich against your sandwiches. Let the sandwich, let's see what's going on. And so they did. They agreed that they're going to sell each of their sandwiches on the same day yeah. and see what the sales are. Yeah. And so the final score at the end of the day <laughs> was the Hula Burger 6. A robust 6. The robust 6. <laughs> and the filet fish a whopping 350. Oh, wow. And so... <laughs> No That's, need to say who yeah, <laughs> who won that competition. Right. And today. And so the rest is absolutely history. We still see the filet fish offered today during Lent. Isn't that something? And it, yeah, it's very, very interesting. And so... Um, That's that's really quite something. Yeah, there, and yeah. The, the family, the whole family itself is devoutly Catholic. Mm-hmm. Still um, today. They, still today, the very, uh, devoutly Catholic. Um, his granddaughter, uh, by the name of Erica Shadwin, mm-hmm. is actually the owner of that the franchise, franchise ah. that uh, is currently open in Ohio. Huh. And so right now, the original location actually sells an average of about 520 fishes, fish sandwiches a day. Um, and outside of land, it's about 70. But Because okay. um, there are folks who are like, yeah, I, I, they've got the envie, as we'd yeah, say down here, for, right. a, for a filet of fish Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so that's actually the story of how the filet of fish came about. It was actually a Catholic businessman who saw a need in the community yeah. you know, to help out his fellow Catholics, and the filet of fish was born. So uh, the next time you decide to make a visit to the Golden Arches <laughs> on Friday's Journal, remember that it was actually because of um, that Catholic businessman and um, yeah. how it came to be. That's really quite something. I, I always find this interesting because, you know, we, we know about the, how the history of Catholicism is kind of baked into the soil in, in southern Louisiana mm-hmm. and, and very, various parts of the south and certainly in the northeast as well. And to see it uh, writ large like this, that yeah. it's now part of, of how a, a major food dispensing company does business. It's really quite And there are other chains that have picked it up, and, and Wendy's has a fabulous yeah. fish stand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. only during the, the Lenten season. Oh, there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and uh, I understand but, uh, that, that Chick-fil-A uh, is, is going, supposedly in select markets, is going to start offering a fish nugget and a fish sandwich as well. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I don't know when or where, but I've, I've heard tell of it. Okay. There was a fell voice <laughs> on the air that whispered that there would be uh, a Chick-fil-A yeah. fish yeah. offer. Yeah. I don't know if it's just internet rumor. I hope not. Cause I, I hope I'd, not. I'd go there. Yeah. I, I try it out. Mm-hmm. I try I it out. Maybe not during lunch because there's always a long line in Chick Fil A. Yeah, there lunch. is. I tell it's you, a, but man, they yeah. they cycle people through. Oh yeah. And yeah. it's it, it really is an obvious Christian organization. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, being Christian, they do observe Lent. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so. Yep. Close on a, Sundays. A, a Baptist friend of mine who observed Lent. You know him, uh, John Leonard. He, he's he, he's he's passed, but uh, uh-huh. he would uh, fry catfish. With uh, he dip it in mustard, yeah. uh, coat it with cornmeal, Ooh. and then fry it in hog lard, oh. which Ooh. bacon grease is allowed. It's just yeah. not the meat, correct? Yeah. Right. Even as I understand it, alligator. Yeah, alligator um, is also appropriate. Is, is appropriate for all. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. For those who want that. But. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's, and it's good too. So, uh, yeah. so maybe instead of the filet of fish, you just uh, yeah. cook some gator up yourself. Yeah. Or turtle. Or right? turtle. Yeah. Yeah, turtle counts. Yeah. I think. Is, is it? Does turtle count? Gosh, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. Well, let's look it up during the break. Yeah, I tell you what. Stick with us. Catholic Underground's coming right back after this.
Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. elevator music and you have found the catholic underground once again i'm father chris joined by tyler traha and uh, jeff blackwell's up in space ed ball's with him though so he's not completely alone yeah no. and and uh we we do have uh, our, our late breaking news you know a, a, a question was written to, uh, to archbishop amon a number of years ago in 2010 um and uh, the question was is is alligator acceptable meat to eat during lent and he said, absolutely, yes, uh, God has created a magnificent creature that is important to the state of Louisiana, and it is considered seafood. So, uh, so not only is the alligator, uh, can you eat that during Lent, but also um, uh, salt and freshwater species of fish, amphibians, so frog legs are good during Lent. Mm-hmm. They're good anytime, but they're good during Lent. <laughs> uh, reptiles, uh, so that would include uh, your turtle or your tortoise, you know? So, yeah, yeah. So that's good for, for Lent. Um, and I tell and now you, now we know. That's right. Now you know. Uh, you, you heard it here. Probably not first. There you go. So, uh, so as we come back uh, to the Catholic Underground, you'll know, of course, that our picks of the week are coming up. But we thought we'd spend a little bit of time uh, talking about gratitude. Mm. So, as we enter into the Lenten season, we really do have the opportunity to to walk with the Lord, as we said, and uh, to kind of come to understand why He did what He did. Mm-hmm. And uh, to to be filled with a sense of gratitude for why he did what he did, and um, and so Father Romano Guardini, who uh, Olivia likes very much, she does, she does very love very Guardini, much. So yes. um, he posed a question about about gratitude. He said, "Let us ask what is necessary so that gratitude may become possible," because he he wanted to uh, attain a view of this gradually disappearing virtue, because gratitude itself is a virtue, right? And um, he talks about kind of three um, notions of how we can come to uh, the possibility of, of having gratitude or showing gratitude. He says, first of all, that, that gratitude and petition are only possible between an I and a thou, a me and a you, right? Mm-hmm. Two persons. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we, he would say that we cannot thank uh, a law. Like I can't have right. gratitude to a law. I can't have gratitude to a company yeah. or a board. But Father Gordini would say that, that our ability to, to have gratitude is rooted in personhood. Right. It's rooted in, in a relationship between myself and the person extending something to me, hearing my petition. Um, and so uh, he says we, we, um, we might say these things out of a politeness, right? Uh, like when the proper sum is handed to us. I'm very grateful to the IRS for, <laughs> for my refund, you know, that right. kind of a thing. Um, so that we keep things, he says, in the domain of good manners. But real gratitude doesn't really enter into the matter. For gratitude is, is first and foremost, Father uh, Gordini would say, an expression of a personal encounter in human need. Mm. So as, as we think about that, right? Um, so you have two persons. One is situated so that he has something or can do something, while the other person uh, does not have 
or he cannot. Mm-hmm. He says, these are the ones that stand face to face, and that's what makes gratitude possible, mm-hmm. uh, that, that it is an, an interpersonal relationship. The one asks, and the other is ready. The one gives, and the other thanks, and the two are united by a human tie, he would say. Um, and it's really interesting that, uh, that we, we talk about gratitude, and we, we, kinda, we use the word with a, a great deal kind of, of, uh, of flippancy now, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm very grateful. But, but he says that gratitude is possible when it is uh, a connection between human need and it's only then that it can become also a basis for community. Mm. So when we talk about Christianity, we talk about right. you know the the notion that that uh, we are grateful to Jesus. Um, I as a person, I'm grateful to Jesus, who is the Son of God, who Himself is a person, and so I'm able to to unite myself to Him in that human tie. And furthermore, um, there is a, a community that that is at work here, uh, and so. Um, that's that's really kind of his first his first uh, groundwork uh, mm-hmm. here. He says that gratitude is only possible in the realm of freedom too. Uh, so so there has to be a sense of of being free. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said uh, the fact that the sun rises in the morning, or if you look at it from a scientific perspective, that the Earth comes into such a position in relation to the sun that I can see it, that it becomes visible. He says for this I'm not grateful. Because I might be filled on a bright morning with with a sentiment of gratitude, but I'm I'm not grateful to the earth, and I'm I'm yeah. not grateful to the sun. Right, missing that human component. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He says uh, these are responses of man to the one who has created it all. Um, he says, or else they're the after effects of a time in which the sun itself was revered as a divinity. <laughs> you mm. know. Uh, so so that's that's kind of the connection that he makes is that whenever we are expressing gratitude. We, we must express it from a person to another person. Mm. And uh, so th- I, I find that very interesting because I can't say that I've ever thought of it in that, in that range Yeah, before. and it makes sense, though, because, I mean, whenever we think about it, how gratitude needs to be person to person, as in, in speaking in the context of what we're talking about, us mm-hmm. with a person of Christ, yeah. you know, that in and of itself... I feel creates that intimacy sure. that we need it's in prayer because yeah. only prayer in a sense is intimate communion with Christ. That's right. And so I think with that sense of gratitude, you know, that's going to help that. That's right. And, and of course, even the, the notion of, of going to mass, that it's a great prayer of thanksgiving to Absolutely. God. Absolutely. So yeah. there is kind of a gratitude built into it mm-hmm. as you're going to Calvary and you're, and you're, you're the one who has not, like mm-hmm. I have not, mm-hmm. and, and I go to, to, to Mass, to Calvary, to, to the cross, uh, to, to Jesus' sacrifice being presented for me outside of all time, right here, and he's the one who has, mm-hmm. and he empties himself in order so that I may be filled, mm-hmm. and that is what makes gratitude for me possible, and it's his free gift, right? Yeah. And, and then I also come in freedom to him. Um, he says, I don't thank when I have a rightful claim upon something. He says, if I've brought something, if an article is, 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 um, that I've bought is delivered to me, he says, I, I don't thank, but I give a receipt. I have received this in good condition. He says, if I've made an agreement on the basis of which another person must perform some service, then I don't thank him afterwards, but I say, it is right. Anything beyond this is mere politeness, right? So, so he, he kind of has this sense of absolute justice, right? Mm-hmm. That, that whenever, whenever um, I, I have a rightful claim on something, like I've, I've paid for an item or I've paid for a service, uh, we can, he says we can thank somebody 
um, as, a, as an act of, of politeness and right. gratitude. Says, but really, this is an act of justice, uh, mm -hmm. done for a service rendered. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, he, he notes that there is this, this notion between being free Mm -hmm. uh, rather than having been uh, contracted for a, for a service, you mm -hmm. know, he says, then it's just polite to say, right. and you still should say, I'm thank you. Yeah. you know? <laughs> I, I'm not right. saying don't say thank you, but he's getting to the depth here of of how gratitude is possible, yeah. and that it that it, it's done person to person mm -hmm. in the realm of yeah. freedom. Gratitude has virtue. That's right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you can say right uh, that that uh, I'm 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 the have not. I do not have, and someone is standing there face to face with me who is willing to give and to give freely. He says, so in this way, true gratitude can only exist in the realm of the voluntary. Uh, he says, the more our attitude towards human affairs approaches our attitude towards mechanical function, and this is something that's more and more uh, prevalent in a technological society. He says, this, he says, this board regulates traffic. Another regulates the conditions of labor. Um, one thing must be done according to the law at this time, another thing at this time. He says, the less room there will be for the free response of the heart that says, I thank you. And, and that, I think, is one of the, the kind of the, the downfalls of, um, of living in a time where technology is so prevalent. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, we think now even of, of, uh, of artificial intelligence. And yeah. can you really be grateful to Siri or can you be grateful right. to... That's right. Uh, yeah, That's right. Or uh, to, to the... the the other one beginning with A, because I don't want to say the word, the name of the person, otherwise your yeah. Amazon device. Am I going to be thankful for Google Maps am for I taking, be am taking I, me to right, places? Do I, am I, <laughs> can I truly be, be in gratitude to, to a thing, to mm -hmm. Google Maps, right? Mm -hmm. to, to something like that. He says, no, that there is uh, an important notion of, of, of being done in the realm of freedom, of person to person. This is in true gratitude only exists in the realm of the voluntary. A, pro, a computer program is simply doing what it's supposed to do. Right. And so it's a thing, first of all, and then it's involuntary. You know, I, I put in the directions and it spits it out. That's mm -hmm. what it's supposed That's to do. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and, and so he says, so this, this next condition for gratitude is that he who gives must do so with a reverence for the one who receives. So mm. you see how this is... Yeah. How Father Gordini is talking even a kind of a deeper level of personhood here. Yeah. Uh, he who gives must do so with a reverence for the one who receives. Otherwise, he wounds the receiver's self-respect. says he must not give wow. with indifference. He can't play the part of one who condescends like, oh, oh, I see you need this water. So here, I'll, I'll just uh, come down and to your level and, and hand it to you. Um, he says, neither must he show his power by the gift. Oh, you need water, and I have water. Mm -hmm. Well, do you really want the water? See, gratitude can exist whenever there is this kind of um, this withholding of the voluntary uh, giving and response mm -hmm. to giving. So there is this this built-in reverence. He says, in order for gratitude to be exercised as a virtue. So the danger for all in social service is a desire to f to feel their power. For the person in need is as such weaker than the one who helps, and when he thanks for the assistance, he admits his weakness thereby. He says, this is what makes gratitude difficult, is because a person who realizes that they are in the position to help those, they immediately are in a place of power, because mm -hmm. they have the thing that, that the person needs. Mm -hmm. And so that immediately makes the other person uh, j just weaker by the fact they do not have. Mm -hmm. And so gratitude is so tough, he says, because... because if, if the one who is helping lets the other feel his superiority, then gratitude dies. 
And what instead we find is humiliation and resentment. Mm. And so you can see how if you have kind of the, um, like in, in social services, whenever you have just kind of this, this, this mindless, like you're, you're just a number, you're just your social security number, right. you're just a series of, you're a file to me, then, then you can't actually give appropriately. You can't be the person who is responding to the need uh, appropriately because you're seeing the other person in a sense as an object. Right. Um, and, and that humiliates the person receiving. And so they themselves are unable to exercise the true virtue of gratitude. And so all you get is, is this resentment. Mm-hmm. And so you can see a lot of things. There are a lot of things. I'm hoping you're putting some of these pieces together in, in our own society because that's one of the things that's that's incredibly missing. Absolutely. You know, from from yeah. where we are because we're kind of turning each other into these objects right. to you have what I need and I'll manipulate you to get what I want mm-hmm. and then I don't care what you feel afterwards, you know. Yeah. And yet that's that's impossible in order to be um to see to to be a person yeah. to person, you know. Right. Yep. Keep reflecting on that human dignity. Like that's, that's right. The it's thing at the basis that, of it yeah, all. Right. That's what keeps going through my mind is mm-hmm. that human dig- basic human dignity. That's right. Uh, and so he says, uh, how how many persons who receive would like to throw the gift into the giver's face? <laughs> just, <laughs> that's that's how you know right. that gratitude has not been present, right? Yeah. Because oh, well, thanks a lot. You mm-hmm. know, um, we even use sarcasm in that right. sense if we right. feel that sense of resentment because because that we have been unable to exercise the virtue of gratitude. Because the person who was doing the giving, who was recognizing the need and wasn't giving out of a desire to truly have a human encounter, who was, who was not exercising in freedom and who was not in the realm of the voluntary, was, was, was only condescending. Mm-hmm. And so that virtue can't be practiced. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of machine mechanization mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of the human heart. Um, and so, again, he says that gratitude only exists between an I and a thou, a me and a you. Um, as soon as the consciousness of the person uh, of the personal quality disappears, the idea of an apparatus remains. That it's just mm-hmm. that it's just an apparatus, uh, mm-hmm. and gratitude dies. It says gratitude can only exist in the realm of freedom. As soon as there is a must or a claim made, gratitude loses its meaning because it just becomes an act of of what I consider just. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, he says, and then of course, gratitude can only exist with reverence. If there's no mutual respect, gratitude perishes and turns to resentment. Anyone who gives assistance to others should definitely think about that. He, he, Father Gordini offers that as a, now think about it. If you're in this position, if you're, if you're in a helping profession, if you're a store clerk, right? If, if you're, certainly if you're a priest or a bishop or a deacon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a parent, to be able to think about your, the reverence for the person that you serve. Mm-hmm. I think we forget that, you know, and then this is, of course, being made in the image and likeness of God. This is how God Ab- made absolutely, us. Absolutely, yes. And, and we're made not just to, to, to worship God, but we're made to, to see uh, the reverence that is due in our actions with one another. That's right. right? That's as, right. As St. Benedict would talk about in hospitality, to see the other as Christ. Right. And that's a huge thing about the program of the director of the Franciscan experience. So one of the things that we do during the week is we actually go to St. Vincent de Paul. Yeah. But not only do we do service, Mm -hmm. but we actually eat with and help serve the patrons who go to the soup kitchen. And one of the biggest things that they do is we challenge the teens that are there to actually sit with the patrons and engage in conversation while they're serving them. Right. Um, Because they are persons and you are persons. And they are persons. And Mm -hmm. it's it's recognizing that human dignity 
uh, to see the face of Christ in that person that to whom you are serving and engaging in conversation with. Mm-hmm. And in our reflection during, throughout the week, it was interesting because it was always about the interactions that they had. Oh uh, yeah. And it was it was the the charity that they sh- showed not only from the participant to the patron, but the patron patron to the participant as well. Yeah. It was kind of a um, reciprocal ministry. Giving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, that all really spoke to me. As and you were that's the thing that, about it yeah. too, is when you talk about gratitude is, is that the person who perhaps this is what humbles the person giving is when they give out of uh, they, they see the mm-hmm. genuine need and the person receives with reverence. Yes. Then they give the person who was giving mm-hmm. the, the, the gift back. Right. right. So, so both can be filled with gratitude over yeah. what we would call sharing. Right. Right. Uh, which, which may be a you know a physical gift, but mm-hmm. a lot, especially in the concept of what we're talking about, is that grace. Yeah, you know, and so through that those acts of charity, but through that expression of gratitude, is where grace also can that's come right. through as well. Exactly, and that's that's where where God mm-hmm. does His finest work. Absolutely, is whenever grace can flow freely out of freedom, and it can't flow when there is any constraint mm-hmm. upon it, right? Um, and then, of course, uh, finally, Father Gordini talks about how much of this can be referred to God. He says, who knows if we may speak in this way, what God feels when we don't merely perform our duty toward him, but give him love, when our littleness strives to be generous towards him, right? When, when we go to Mass, not out of an obligation, but because I love God and I want to be with him. Mm. He says, then there is something in God which we may faintly and distantly indicate by the word gratitude. Very briefly, he says, then it plunges into mystery. But someday he will show us how he received our gift and that will be part of our blessedness. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, Father Gordini, tremendous writer. Yes, And he is, a very yeah. good philosopher as well. Uh, you know, well, we want to talk a little bit about uh, about what you do, Tyler. And, sure. and it's all wrapped up in gratitude. It is. Um, which it I is. think is a great segue because that was how St. Francis lived his life. Yeah. Uh, in gratitude to everything yeah. that God gave him. Yeah. And, and he gave it back by being little. Right. Absolutely. And then that sense of gratitude as well. Um and that humbleness of heart and it, you know, St. Francis pretty much embodied everything that we just talked about. And so, um, so yeah, so my role at Fran U is I'm the, not only am I a recruiter, but I'm also the director of what's called the Franciscan Experience. And um, it's a five-day summer institute for high school teenagers where we learn about St. Francis and what it means to be Franciscan, but also we learn about what we call our three pillars, and that's our Catholic faith, service but also theology and that kind of is our carrot i guess is what you would say is that we have an emphasis on theological formation and all of those pillars together sum up the question of who are you called to be and so we have a specific emphasis on discernment Mm -hmm. and so we help the teens and the participants who come learn about vocation what it means to discern vocation and how do you discern your vocation and how service is a huge part of that. Um, so our goal is that we want our teens to leave with a better understanding of, you know, we don't want them to figure out, you know, yeah. what they're called to do because that's essentially between them and God. But hopefully we can spark that process. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but also to grow with a servant heart, you know. Yeah. And for, those are those are the really the beginnings of vocational discernment, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Whether it's whether it's discerning. Um, your your role to as a college student, mm-hmm. you know, where am I going to go right. here? 
Um, but ultimately, can I can I begin to cultivate that cultivate that vocation to holiness? Absolutely. And uh, that's what I've seen. I mean, I've I've been involved at least cursorily with the Franciscan experience. Whenever you, whenever you need priests, you know, you can usually find them. Um, uh, yeah. Well, and, we actually have two of our past participants going into the seminary uh, this fall. Well, there, there so, you go. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Some, so we've already seen some, some priestly mm-hmm. pro- vocation come mm-hmm. from it, um, but. What we want them to realize is like, no matter what God is calling you to, how are you going to live that life of holiness within that occupation? Yeah. Um, whether that be directly through the occupation itself mm-hmm. or maybe in ministry or something like that. And so, and we've done it for the past two years and have already seen a tremendous amount of fruit that comes from it. Yeah. Um, because the biggest thing about it is that communal aspect of it. How many folks are, are usually in uh, the group that's uh, in the Franciscan experience? So we can accept up to 30 Okay. Um, per, I guess, on an academic term, a right. cohort. Yeah. Um, we haven't yet filled capacity, uh, but every year that every year we have um, gotten more and more participants. Oh wow! And okay. so um, it's definitely going out into the community. They mm-hmm. see what we're doing and they see the uniqueness of it. Yeah. And have total communal support, which I'm completely yeah. thankful for. It's um, fascinating that you know we're we're not a big city like like a New York or mm-hmm. a New Jersey or a Newark or yeah. something like that uh, or even a, a Dallas. Right. But Baton Rouge has so many opportunities uh, to to kind of show the Franciscan heart. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so Absolutely. many ways to reach out and so many ways to engage in yeah. in, in um, the work right. in the apostolate. Right. And it is a nice little incubator for that sort it of thing. It is, and so. that's the goal of, of TFE is it, it's to create that space conducive yeah. for vocational discernment and theological formation. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a pre-seminary seminary, right? If a seminary, yeah. if a, and, and not yeah. just for priesthood, right? Because yeah. the, the Latin word uh, seminary means a seedbed. Yeah. And so what you're doing is you're helping to provide a, a place, right. a, a soil, yeah. kind of a spiritual soil. Yeah, and I mean, and we're not, you know, and we've had parents come up to us before. It's like, oh, I don't think he's called to be a priest, so he's not going to go. It's like, uh-huh. no, no, we're, this we're not, this that. isn't right. about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we definitely want to... Um, encourage priestly vocation yeah. if if a young man feels called to it but this is for um, young ladies who may be discerning the religious life or anybody who is We're just, just kind of walking step. that yeah walking yeah. that life uh, so that's why it's only offered to rising juniors and seniors in high school because okay. they're at that point in their life where they're deciding where to go to college you know what what do they do for their career but how do you incorporate God and your faith into yeah. that oh, yeah. and so um it's very unique, um, so it's something that we're really proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, so thankful for the support of the community who has, um, from youth ministers to you guys um, who have nominated teens mm-hmm. to come. Sure, um, but also our alumni who have been um, they're huge all advocates. over. They, they yeah. really are. They, and, they, you can see that they've um, experienced a, a change in their own heart and their life, and now they're yeah. They're on board. And I'm constantly seeing um, them attend youth events. You know to keep pursuing Christ because that's what we challenge them to do to keep pursuing yeah. uh, but also yeah. the community that they form during those five days right uh, they actually create group me chats oh cool that, um, yeah the group from our very first year still keep in touch with each other to this day asking for prayers awesome. or hey like we're going to Perkins Row like let's mm-hmm. all get together and uh, just keeping that community going so we've seen much fruit come from it so if they want to get involved with the Franciscan experience yeah. uh, uh, and you're not watching this in an encore episode yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what, what's the website how can they do that so they can go to um, franu.edu slash TFE that, um, that's actually our open house um, oh, okay. coming up but uh, yeah I was gonna well, say we're that, gonna yeah. 
yeah, yeah. There's well, a, we'll there's talk a, about that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. for the Franciscan experience, you can go to franu.edu/tfe, mm-hmm. where you can find all the information, um, some videos that you can watch. A video, um, one of the videos is actually um, a live segment from this experience that they were having at the time. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, but it is an application process. We do go through those applications, and then we'll send you information um, more about it. Uh, but if all of our contact information is on there as well, so if you have any questions, so you can edu slash tfe. We'll put that in our show notes, and then of course uh, for for Franciscan University itself, for yeah. Fran U itself, right. uh, you're having an open house just to kind of see what, what student life is like. For sure, yeah. And so if you know about Fran U, we were formerly Our Lady of the Lake College. We changed our name a couple of years ago. And so if you're Which I think is an awesome story, by the way, because yeah. <laughs> it, it was a desire to to kind of say, no, we're, we're a Catholic university and yeah. we have so many gifts to offer our local community as a yeah. Catholic college yeah. and not just as a nursing college. Yeah. What a fantastic, yeah. fantastic thing. Absolutely. And, and so the majority of our programs are healthcare related, obviously, because of our affiliation with the health system. But we recently have a bachelor's degree in theology. Yeah. Um, and we also have some other liberal arts programs. But our open house um, we have coming up on March 23rd. Um, it's from 9 o'clock to 1230, where you can come. You can go to franu.edu to learn more about our university, what programs we have to offer. But open house is going to consist of interactions with our faculty. Um, since we are healthcare related, we have a lot of technology, mm-hmm. our skills labs and everything. We'll be doing demos of all of that, plus taking campus tours and everything so you can find more information at franu.edu and you can go to the admissions page and you can find all the information there or you can contact the admissions office and cool. we're more than happy to help you that's really neat too because i i don't know about you but if if uh if i were in the hospital and uh my nurse was there or mm-hmm. nurse practitioner or whomever yeah uh it would be great if i could speak to them on on that faith level mm-hmm. and i think yeah. that's a that's a fantastic yeah. uh mode and that's a very unique thing about our university is that our students actually take ethics and theology courses fantastic to take um and that's kind of one of our um our what we call our quality enhancement plan yeah it's a pillar we, of integration exactly right? mm-hmm. and so that's something that's very unique is the culture and uh, in integrating that ethics um and theology also within it very cool so that's uh that's the franciscan experience and franu.edu yes. well uh i think i think it was good that we took a little time to talk about this because we're always interested in what uh in what franu is up to because the new things are kind of springing up yeah and, and, we're glad. and there's more coming so yeah. stay tuned and we're glad to support it on the catholic underground because that's uh, kind of what we do yeah. yeah so without further ado let's do a truncated version of what we like to call the cu pick of the week Alrighty, for our first CQ Pick of the Week, we're going to go over to Tyler. You got something for us? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a resource that is specific for Lent that I've seen passed around, and that is um, Bishop Robert Barron's uh, Gospel Lenten Reflections. Oh, cool. And um, published by Word on Fire, which is some that Bishop Robert Barron um, is heavily affiliated with. I was actually giving this by one of my classmates, so to my point of it being passed around. And what it is is that it gives an excerpt of the gospel for every day. It's a daily reflection. Oh, nice. And it's followed by kind of a written reflection by Bishop Barron, but also a prompted question for you to do your own self-reflection. Nice. Um, But what I really like about it is, and, you know, I'm not— an intellectual person, or at least I consider myself an lies, intellectual person. Lies, all lies. And, uh, and so it's simple yet profound. So you're able to read the prompt and anybody on any intellectual level is able to participate in it. And so 
I definitely recommend this. We're still, we're only in the first week of Lent. Um, so there's still up, time right? you can catch up. Um, it's very easy. If you're the kind of person that's kind of still starting in their prayer life and we always have that recommendation, you know, just give five minutes. This is a great, a great start. And you'll nice. find yourself, you know, it's, spend more and more time in prayer um, from That's that. Good. So the challenge that I'm going to give you guys if you do decide to participate in this is um, don't treat it just like a homework assignment. Mm-hmm. Make it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to dive deeper into it. Um, scripture is a call to action. And so you want to mm-hmm. make sure that you're really soaking in the Word of God uh, because He's telling you how to live through this, especially during this Lenten season. So Very cool. I, I also have a, a Lenten uh, thing for my pick of the week. Uh, oh, I guess I should I go to you, Jeff? You want me to? Okay, all right. My pick of the week uh, is from the other Franciscan University, Steubenville. Uh-huh, yeah, um, oh. and it's uh, Lenten resources and lock screens for your phone. So things to keep this stuff in front of you, and uh, and that is uh, all the Lenten resources from the Franciscan University of Steubenville. And uh, the the web address is really cool. We are dot franciscan dot university slash lent. We'll put that in the show notes. It's a lot, but uh, just some good Lenten resources that are available online if you need them. And Jeff, uh, I like yours too. I'm going to Americanize the pronunciation of this Hungarian, yeah. born in 1989, uh, Antal Banagesi. There you but, go. But um, uh, he was born in the year the uh, the uh, communism came to end in Romania. Mm-hmm. So he did a photo essay of Orthodox churches, and they are gorgeous. So we'll have that link in the show notes as well. Very, and very cool. this week, awesome. yeah, the Catholic Underground is possible because of people just like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at CatholicUnderground.com/slash/donate. And an important way to support us is to like us, heart us, star us, and share us on your social media platform of choice. And if you really like our podcast. Pop on by iTunes and leave us a review and click them stars, youngins. That's right. Uh, please do click those stars and leave us a review in iTunes. We'd like to kind of move up in the ranks Absolutely. if we could. Yeah. Uh, our panelists this week have been one, one of you, Tyler Traha, who works uh, for FranU, and he's with the Franciscan Experience. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. You left out the amazing Tyler. Okay. Yes, the amazing Tyler. I think, I think we can give him that moniker. Yeah, in gratitude, really I thank you. Uh, oh, there you go. I see, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. yeah. Jeff Blackwell and Jeff Star One. It's he's a privilege. JeffBlackwell.us and Jeff Blackwellus thank on you, Instagram Bob. and Twitter. There it is. Uh, research assistant, the leader of the crew in the, ha- uh, the, crew in the lab whew, is Jim Hayes. Our video and graphics director is Ed Ball. You know me. I am Father Chris Decker. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Digital Catholic. We hope we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice, especially in Lent. We are the Catholic Underground. We're Faith Gone Digital. And we'll see you next time.